Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just a couple verses this morning. I listed one in the bulletin, but we're going to be looking at a couple. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. As I started to study for this morning, I didn't really um, plan on this being somewhat of a, of a follow-up to last week's study, but as the Lord led me to this text and I started to uh, go through it, I realized that this was really um, a great complement to our study last week. Remember, our study last week was from Philippians 4, uh, where we saw the verse, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And we saw that great promise, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will fill, guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Uh, as I started to study for this week and kind of work through some ideas, I was looking in the Old Testament, looking at Solomon, but um, kind of late in the week, the Lord really led me to this verse. And as I studied it, it really confirmed to me that this is what we were going to study this week. This verse, especially verse six of chapter four, uh, 16 of chapter 4, really has an awesome practical application for us as believers. The problem is that too few, uh, myself included many times, are, are actually living this way. The verse gives us such a great secret to consistently being blessed by God. Because God wants to consistently bless us. God wants to consistently work in our lives and help us and strengthen us and comfort us and teach us the right way to live. But... Um, even though we, we know that, and even though we're sure of that, many times we don't live in that blessing because of how we're living. And God says, I will answer your prayers. I'll be sufficient for you. I'll be faithful to you. I'll come near you. I'll lead you. I'll direct you. I'll give you communion. Uh, spend time with me. You'll have fellowship. You'll be encouraged. I mean, all these things that we talk about that God is willing to do for us and God is ready to do for us, not to mention the joy and peace that we talked about last week, but the, the practical reality is that so little of, of the time we're living this way on a regular basis. Now, that may seem judgmental or it may seem harsh, but the, the one thought that kind of hit me as I started to study this text is, would we say that our walk and our witness and our ministry is like what we see described in the Bible. When we look at the book of Acts, when we look at the early church, we look of how they lived and what they did and how effective they were and how bold they were and how they called on the Lord and how they were unified and how they were just so on fire for the Lord and, and the church exploded. New converts every day, new people being brought to the Lord. There was a passion and an energy. The church started to spread throughout Asia Minor and it started to make inroads that nobody could have imagined a couple weeks before. Now, when we look at that, does that describe us? Does that describe how we live? Does it describe how we function as a church? Do we have the same power, the same authority, the same love, the same effectiveness that they had? And if not, why? Because we have the same Lord, we have the same Holy Spirit, we have the same power. We have the same Word of God. Actually, we have more Word of God than they had in their hands at the times. Why is it that they were so effective and the church in 2014 is so inept? 
Why is it that they were so passionate about the Lord, so on fire for the Lord, so full of the Holy Spirit, and yet the average believer is just kind of managing, just kind of scraping by, just kind of getting Sunday to Sunday, and yet we know that there is so much more that God wants to give us. We have the same Lord that Peter and Paul did. We have the same promises that they have. We have the same power. We have more of the Word of God. We have more experience. We have more training. And yet, do we have the same power and confidence and effectiveness? Now, that's a hard question, and it's a challenging question. And yet, we know that the Holy Spirit is there and that He wants to do this in our lives and He wants to do this in our church. He's equipped us to do this. So it's time for us to get stronger in the Lord. And that's what these verses kind of bring us to this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Because if you're feeling a little discouraged, the first part of the verse is for you. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, if you go back to the first part of the chapter and just scan it as I talk, Paul is defending his ministry, which he had to do a lot because Paul faced a lot of criticism. A lot of people that were skeptical about the sincerity of what he was doing based on who he had been before, the fact that he had persecuted Christians, the fact that he was a Pharisee. So there was a lot of skepticism among the Jews and among the Gentiles, but more among the Jews, that Paul was really who he said he was. So Paul spends a lot of time really defending the credibility of his message, but more so than the credibility of his message, he has to defend uh, his attitude and his approach in bringing it. People didn't like that he was so bold. People didn't like that he was going to the Gentiles. People didn't like, they thought he was grandstanding. He was making it about himself, that he wasn't sincere. He wasn't humble. That's why he makes it clear, if you look back at verse 5, that, that he and the men he was working with, his fellow bond servants, he calls them, were not preaching about themselves, but were completely focused on Jesus Christ and on the gospel. And that's an important statement, because honestly, we need more of that mindset in Christianity in 2014. That it's more about Jesus Christ and the gospel. In fact, not more about Jesus Christ and the gospel. That it's all about Jesus Christ and the gospel. Because so much of what's happened in Christianity is we've gotten away from talking about Jesus and we've talked about ourselves. And we've done it subtly. Paul says, look, this ministry is not about me. I'm not preaching about me. I'm preaching about Christ and Him crucified. Now that's important to the to the Corinthians, because they were the epitome of self. They claimed to know Christ. They claimed to be followers of Christ. And Paul obviously was ministering to them, and he wanted them to grow in their faith. But, but they were selfish, and they were carnal, and they were worldly. And he says, look, you guys are not doing the right thing. You've opposed me in many ways, and my credibility is sound. I've suffered for the ministry, and he's not saying that out of self-pity. If you look at verses 8 to 10, he says it's an honor. Jesus suffered for us. Now I hope through my ministry that you will see Jesus working in and through me. And the goal, verse 15, is that people will hear the gospel, not me. 
A pastor's goal should always be that you hear Christ, that you hear the Spirit, that you don't see Him. Don't ever, I don't care how big this church gets, we're never going to put one of our faces on the screen. Because that leads to, look at me. No, the point is, Jesus Christ. You need to walk out of church and say, I heard about Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit spoke. I was ministered to. I was encouraged. I was strengthened. God was praised. We exalted Him. We gave to Him. We prayed to Him. That should be the goal of church. Now, Paul says, listen, I know I'm a prominent figure. I know I'm controversial. I'm, I'm kind of the one who's polarizing everybody. But you need to hear me. This is not about me. This is about Jesus. And he writes to the Corinthians and he says, look, this, this work is not easy. It's hard work. Ministry is hard work. And I'm feeling the responsibility. And I'm trying to connect with you and encourage you and encourage other churches. But I'm getting criticized. And Corinth, you're causing me heartache. This is probably the third letter. I think we're missing one. Uh, scholars tend to think there's one in between first and second. So this may be the third re- letter he wrote to them. And he says very bluntly, you guys are causing me heartache. You're full of pride and you're full of division and you're worldly. And it would be easy for me to get discouraged and overwhelmed by the fact that I've ministered and ministered and ministered. And yet you haven't changed. Now, that's what he could be saying. But notice what he says in verse 16. He says, but we don't lose heart. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Now, that's pushing us back to previous truths. So let's look at that for a second. In verse 6, he said, The Lord has given us the knowledge of His glory and the boldness to tell others about the gospel. And in verse 7, he says, We're human and we're weak and and our efforts aren't perfect, but God's power works in and through us. And we want God's power to be evident to everybody. And then in verse 11, he says, We're constantly being threatened with death if we keep going. But... God has a design here. This is purposeful. We're pressing forward because we want to make you like Christ. Therefore, because of all the help that God's given and because of the purposes that God has for us to do this, therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart. When you're doing the work of ministry, when you're walking with the Lord and it's a challenge and you're getting uh, opposed or you're getting criticized or you're getting threatened or you feel discouraged, or you feel unappreciated. Sometimes it's easy in ministry, you just kind of feel unappreciated. Well, I did this, and nobody helped me, and I sacrificed, and I gave time, and all this kind of stuff. Listen, that's a very common feeling throughout all ministry. He says, when those times sit, look at it. We do not lose heart. He's not saying, hey, I hope you don't lose heart. And And do your best not to be discouraged and and try to just overcome it. No, he's saying, look at this is a statement of fact. We do not lose heart. That's important. Because what's the first thing we go to when we're living in fear or sadness or discouragement or stress? We start to lose heart, don't we? We feel that twinge of disappointment and that vacuuming out of that hope. And we kind of, oh, no, I can't believe this is going to... No, come on. I, oh, and you start to lose heart and it gets really, really painful. What's he saying here? 
He's saying, look, there are going to be times when you're discouraged. There are going to be times when you feel disappointed. Corinthians, I'm disappointed in you. I feel like I'm striving. I feel like I'm working. I feel like I'm ministering to you, and I don't see any change, and, and, and it's discouraging. But I want to tell you, I can't let that become a habit because Christ didn't redeem us and give us his spirit so we would be perpetually losing heart, right? Christ didn't go to the cross and die and say, it's finished, I've taken your sin on me and I'm going to die for you and then I'm going to rise again in great victory and death has been defeated and the grave has been overcome and I am victorious and I will make you overcomers through me. Now, you have my spirit. Now, continually lose heart. Now, continually be discouraged and anxious and fearful and depressed. Just just do that. Even though I've won all this victory for you and I've declared you to be an overcomer, just, just constantly lose heart. That's not what the text says. That's not what he's telling us. This is not a situational circumstance. This is a spiritual circumstance. Look at how he describes it here in verse 16. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Look at the next section. But though... Our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. There are two entities, the outer man and the inner man. Now, the outer man here is not referring to the old self. Essentially, it's referring to our physical bodies, to our flesh. And he's saying, as we get older, we can't rely on that as much. How many are approaching middle age and know that's true? The closer I get to 50, and it's racing toward me, and I'm irritated by it. And my hair gets grayer every morning in the mirror, and my skin doesn't look as tight, and I have aches and ailments and all kinds of weird junk, and I don't feel as strong or as healthy. I know, you're like, you're only 49, what is your problem? Listen, you've been there, and you people in your 30s, you're so smug right now. It's going to happen. I was like you. I'm 31. I got no problems. Yeah, okay. Give it 18 years. But the physical body starts to to wind down, doesn't it? The, The word here is that it is decaying. In other words, we can't trust it the way that we used to. We're practicing softball yesterday and the balls are coming and I'm going down and my body doesn't respond the way it did when I was 25. I can't rely on it. I also can't rely on my own confidence. It's one thing that happens as we get older. We realize that we're not quite as sure of ourselves as we were when we were 18. 18, you have all the answers. There's no problem. You know exactly how to run the world when you're 18. You get to 50, you're like, I'm not so sure. So he's saying the outer man is decaying. We can't rely on it as much. And then there's a second part. Look, the inner man, that's our spirit. Now, this passage is written to believers, so it's vital that we see what's happening in our inner man. The verse says that it is being renewed every day. Now, on first glance, we can read that verse two ways. One is that it should be renewed every day. The other is that it is being renewed every day. Now, the difference is huge because the first one says that it's dependent on us. That for it to be renewed, we need to be humble and sacrificial and obedient. If you read it the second way, it is saying the Holy Spirit has always already accomplished this work of renewing you every day. 
And we need to understand the power of that. Now, thankfully, the second definition is right. And not to bore you, and I'm going to bore you, this verse is in the present active imperative tense, to which you say, who cares? But it's important. Because it's in the present active imperative tense, it means that this action is taking place now, it's happening in our lives, and that it's real life. So it's a command to us. It's accomplished by the Spirit, and it's a command to us. In other words, our inner man needs to be renewed every single day. It's not a one-time act. It's a current and daily event. And that says that in the verse. It's being renewed, tell me, day by day. Every day, God is willing to renew us. What does the word mean? It means to make new, give new strength and vigor, and be changed from a corrupt state to new life. So in other words, I can't rely on my body. When I wake up, I moan because it hurts because I've got whatever. So we can't rely on that. I can't rely on my own judgment. But I can rely on the fact that as I sleep at night and as you sleep at night, God already is preparing fresh mercy for the next day. And when we wake up, he says, I'm renewing you again. Now, as you're renewed, as your self is changed and given new strength for the day, new strength for the week, new strength to face the challenges, new strength to face the trials, as you've moved from corrupt to new life, as you do that, now you have to live in that. I've produced the change. Now you have a responsibility. How do we know that? Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to the world, which is corrupt, which no longer should be of an interest to us, which no longer should appeal to us. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Tell me you know the verse. What's it say? Be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. That's not by proxy. That's a responsibility. Do not be conformed to the world. There's no way to nuance what that means. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It means renovate. It means clear out the junk like a spiritual garage sale. Clear out the junk that you don't need anymore, that no longer has application for your life, that's taking up space, that's creating stress, that's corrupting you. Get that junk out and be renewed in your mind. Don't just sit back and say, well, God's God and He'll do it and I'll just wait and I'll just sit here and then continue to do what you used to do before. He says, no, that's not how it works. Every day be renewed in your inner mind. And God will give us that conviction by His Spirit and He'll spur us to it. And when we are spurred and convicted, He'll then cleanse us and pour himself out in our lives. Now, we know that, but there's something still that impedes us from acting on it. And it's listed in verse 17, if you look at that, as a spiritual positive. But we don't tend to see it that way. What is the thing that tends to impede us from being renewed in our minds, because the mind is strong, feelings are strong, We tend to talk in feelings rather than in reality. We tend to talk in what's temporal rather than what is by faith. So he says, I want you to see this as a positive, even though the tendency is to see it as a negative. What's the thing that impedes us? For momentary, light 
Affliction. Stop there, those four words. This is what usually impedes us. Momentary light affliction. Now, we tend to view it as more permanent and more heavy. And little problems that we have in our lives become big ordeals when we're not living by last week's verse. By Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. When we're not doing that, our faith gets impeded. And because we're so sight-based, and I think getting more sight-based than we ever used to, because we're so sight-based, instead of relying on the Lord for everything, we tend to magnify the issues in our lives and allow them to fill us with anxiety and worry. Remember that problem you had three or four months ago that was causing you sleepless nights? Remember that little issue. I'm not talking major issue like, you know, cancer or your marriage is crumbling. I'm talking about little things, stuff at work, stuff with your kids, something that was annoying you, the stress of a financial situation. You remember how you were just so caught up and you couldn't think about everything, anything else and you'd wake up in the middle of the night, you'd start to worry and maybe you'd start to pray and then you'd go back to worrying and then you'd pray a little bit more, then you'd fall asleep, then you'd wake up and start to worry again. Remember that? It's gone now. And yet we spent so much time feeling like we were underwater and, and struggling. And how is this going to be solved? And Lord, I don't know what you're going to do. And we start to get frustrated with the Lord. And we, we never think it's going to get under control. And then all of a sudden the solution comes and it's reconciled and it's resolved. And we move right on. We forget to thank the Lord for solving it. And then it's on to the next problem. See, it seemed so acute then, but eventually it was relieved. Now, that's what Paul's talking about here in verse 17. He says it's for a moment. Most of our problems this week will be solved by the end of this week. Most of our problems this week will be for a moment, and they will be a light affliction. It sounds cliched. You say, Rhodes, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the week I've got at work. You don't know the pressure that is on me. No, I don't. But I'm telling you, the Bible's telling us, don't lose heart because it is a momentary and light affliction. And when you feel like nobody understands you, just remember who's writing this. Paul knew about affliction. Not just the stonings and the opposition and the beatings and the jail time. He also had to work through the rejection and betrayal of most of his friends in ministry. And I'm sure there were many days, especially when he was sitting in jail, where it didn't feel momentary or light. And yet, look at what he's writing here. He says that's exactly what they are. And he's not being condescending. He's not being pejorative here. He's giving us the necessary perspective because Paul had great perspective. He had been through significant afflictions and he could still talk about those trials as problems that we can overcome. Not just that we can overcome, but listen now, The Lord uses them as opportunities to give us an advanced insight into His glory. So the first thing we have to do when difficulty comes is to be careful not to do what we're inclined to do. When difficulty comes, when affliction comes, when crisis comes, 
we have to be careful that we don't just sit back and worry or we get stressed and uptight or we pick a fight with somebody or we get angry or we slam the door or we honk the horn or we kick the dog or whatever the case may be. Or if you're the more silent type, that we don't just retreat into ourselves and shut everybody out and be unhappy and miserable. I know none of us can relate to this, but just try to understand it, okay? We have to be careful that when affliction comes, when trial comes, when difficulty comes, that we don't do what we're naturally in our humanity inclined to do. We have to think spiritually. God has given us the privilege of prayer. What a privilege that is. And when we get stressed and anxious, like we saw last week, the first thing we should do is run to the throne of grace and thank God for His faithfulness and thank Him for the trial because James tells us that trial is about to make us more complete. And then we need to go to Him and say, God, Your will be done. Give me the perspective, even though I can't see it yet. We'll deal with that in a second. Give me the perspective of knowing that you are at work. I can trust you completely. And I don't need to do what my natural inclination tells me to do. Because I have a new nature. And my new nature needs to follow you and trust in you. Look at what an inward battle this is. Look at the word there in verse 16. It is our inner man. And that inner man needs to be renewed every day. That means that what's in there at the end of the day is stale and it's impure and it maybe is not sanctified. So he's going to prepare us for the next day and renew us again and say, live with me. Now, we can be stuck with the old, which is just joyless and and faithless because it's centered on self. Or we can be renewed by the spirit who changes us all together. And when we're renewed by the spirit in our minds. Those afflictions become far less significant and his sufficiency becomes our strength and our comfort. Christ died. Christ rose again. The spirit is given to us so that we will know God's strength and sufficiency. And when we know God's strength and sufficiency, our faith is strengthened and our faith always needs to be strengthened. It needs to be renewed every day. You can never take a day off from trust. You can never take a day off and say, today, I'm going to be self-sufficient. I'll give God his time on Thursday. And I'll give God his time on Saturday. And I'll give God his time on Sunday. But on Monday, I got all kinds of problems I got to deal with. Nobody else knows how to deal with them but me. So I'm going to take care of it. That's not living the Christian life. Faith never takes a day off. We need to trust the Lord for something fresh every day. Get in the practice of doing that. Things that are impossible, things that seem overwhelming, get in the practice of trusting God for that every day. Now, the Holy Spirit does this. Let's conclude. But there's more that the Spirit wants to do. So let's ask the question again. Why does the Spirit do this? Why does He allow these afflictions even if they are momentary and light, and what are we supposed to understand about the Lord? Go back to verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. 
Why do we have difficulty? Why do we have affliction? Why do we have stress? Why do we have things that cause us angst? Why are you and I this week going to face stuff where we go, Ugh, rats, i got to deal with this. I don't like this. This is difficult. This is unhappy. This is stressful. Why do we have that? Well, the verse tells us that those afflictions have a product. That it's like a factory that God wants to produce something in us that will be for our benefit. So he says, you have these momentary light afflictions, but they want to produce something. Look at what they want to produce. He says, in you, God wants to produce the eternal weight of glory. What a sentence that is. In other words, these light problems will go away, but God wants to fill us with the weight of His glory. What does that mean? It means that we get to experience the full presence of God, the full protection of God, the full power of God, the full help of God, and the full sufficiency of God in our lives. His sufficiency wants to wrap around us. You say, well, Paul, i got all kinds of problems right now. I've got issues. i got stuff that's stressing me out. I've got afflictions. And, and, and I'm praying, and I don't feel God. Listen, God wants to wrap you with His presence. God wants to wrap you with His power. God wants to wrap you with His help. He wants to assure you that He has full sufficiency over your life. Listen, if He doesn't have full sufficiency over our lives, then let's close the windows, close the doors, turn off the lights, and go home. If God is not sufficient, if God is not powerful, if God is not faithful, if God is not loving, if God is not merciful, if He is not willing to help us, and we don't believe that, then we're wasting our time. But if He is, oh, that changes the way we live. Because if He is those things, then these things are momentary, light afflictions that He says, I will deal with, but you have to trust Me. And I want to tell you that my help, sufficiency, faithfulness, love, mercy, all that Paul I just described, all of that stuff, look at the verse, it will go far behind your comprehension. Remember last week? The peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. It's the same thought. God says, you got problems? I will give you the weight of my glory far beyond your comprehension it will make your biggest problem look like a hangnail. Because I have so much power, so much glory, so much love, so much sufficiency that you will not even be able to stand for how good I'm going to be to you. But here's the deception of the enemy. He always tries to say, oh, come on, your problem's much bigger than God's letting on. And God says He'll help you, but mm, nah, you can't rely on that. You need to, you know what? You need to, you need to take care of yourself. Because God's promises are great, but do you see Him anywhere? You see your problem, boy. You got a problem. You got you got a mess. And you can pray, you can read your Bible, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think God's going to be there for you. Listen. I want to hear an amen after this. Jesus Christ has won victory for us. We are overcomers in Christ. 
We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have thousands of promises in Scripture. We have the sufficiency of God, which he cannot break. He cannot break his promises. And the devil's a liar, and he's an accuser. He thinks that he's so smug, and he can convince us that God is not faithful. But as believers, we are not going to believe it. God is faithful, and he's not just faithful for a little bit. He is faithful far beyond comparison. So Paul, look how he concludes, and we're done. He says, listen, believer now, the enemy works in what's visible and what's temporal, but the Lord wants us to look in what is not visible and not temporal. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That doesn't mean God doesn't reveal things to us. It means that we have to see life with spiritual eyes. We have to connect the eternal weight of His glory, which is beyond all comparison. And we have to say, even though I don't understand how God's going to do it, and when He's going to do it, and why He's going to do it, and what He's going to accomplish through it, I'm going to trust it. Even though I can't see the answer, and I'm praying, and I'm looking, and I'm seeking, and I'm, I'm asking, and I'm and consulting, and, and, but I don't get it yet. It doesn't seem like the answer is coming. It says, oh, live in the unseen. We're so temporally based. God says, I want you to live in constant, dependent faith on me. And we need to understand two things. Our faith is never ever, ever an inadequate resource against our afflictions when we trust in the Lord. Your faith will never be inadequate when you trust in God. And the second truth is, God will always hear us. He'll never fail us. He'll never forsake us. When we pray, He will answer. And He will never, ever, 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 ever fail to be sufficient. Never. We can trust the Lord and we can trust in what is not seen by faith because we have the promise of God and the presence of God and the sufficiency of God in our lives. And it is that truth that drives our inner renewal because the more we know that's true and the more we trust that that is true, the more we will crave it. I don't know about you this week, but I want to crave inner renewal. But part of inner renewal is our responsibility. So how are we going to be renewed? Can't just sit back and go, all right, God, do it. I'm ready. Renew me. I'm not going to do anything. Just renew me. Waiting. We have a role in this. We can't continue to live for the world and then say, God, renew me. We can't continue to doubt God and say, God, renew me. We can't continue to avoid His Word and say, well, God, I'm waiting. You said you'd renew me. And He says, I'm giving you resources to be renewed. You want to be holy like me? We sang, holy, I love that song. Isaiah 6, the angels are flying around heaven saying, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah says it and says, 
I'm worthless. I'm undone. I can't even be here. I can't even watch this because God is so holy. Listen, he says, be holy like I'm holy. It's not going to happen by us just saying, I'm ready. We have to take action. God's given us resources. And it may sound trite, and I'm going to finish with this. But God gives us three very simple resources that not only draw us closer to Him, but they keep us spiritually fresh and invigorated. And they're so simple. And you've heard them 10,000 times before. But I want you to hear them again. Because if we're neglecting them, I don't care how basic they are, they won't help us. Today we'll have lunch. And we'll eat a lot, whether you go out to a brunch somewhere, you're making dinner at home, or whatever the case may be, we're going to eat a lot of food. How much are we tasting and seeing this week that the Lord is good? Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for there is no want for those who fear Him. How how much are we going to taste the Lord this week? I'll be full by 3 o'clock. I'm going to eat bacon. Yes, I am. Because bacon is good. I'll eat a waffle, maybe some eggs. I'm going to be full. We full of the Lord? I'm not being sarcastic here. I'm being dead serious. Taste and see. That the Lord is good. How do we do that? Number one, His Word. Are we in His Word, tasting it every day? Are we having our minds influenced and changed by what it teaches? Is our heart and mind renewed by the Word of God instead of all the garbage and all the mess that the world's spewing out each day? How many days in a row have you read the Word of God? Let alone study it in depth. You want to know God's will? You want to know God's leading? You want to go God's faithfulness? You want to know God's promises? Set aside time to read His Word. Number two, prayer. I told you this was simple. Prayer brings renewal because when we get in His presence, we are taking a posture that says, Lord, I am humble before You, I am yielded before You, and I am seeking Your face. We all know prayer is essential theoretically, but how often do we practice it? Same question, different focus. How many hours this week did you pray? I mean real focused time in the presence of the Lord praying. You say, well, Lord, uh, Paul, maybe it's, it's more in the minutes. Okay? How many minutes did you spend this week praying? What else did we do? We had 168 hours since the last time we were here. We gave God a couple minutes. Uh, listen, I'm guilty of this too. We gave God a couple minutes of study and a couple minutes of prayer. And then we said, I don't know why I'm not renewed, why, why I'm not refreshed, why, why things are so difficult. God says, I gave you resources. This is not a guilt trip. This is a refocusing of our inner man because it apparently needs renewal. So there's study of the word. There's prayer. Third, there's time with other believers. Listen now, because we're in church and we're with believers right now. But does our inner renewal 
during the week come from people who are selfish and worldly and driving us away from the Lord? Or does our inner renewal during the week come from people who are spiritually encouraging and speaking truth and challenging us and convicting us to walk with the Lord? Whose influence are you under socially? How is your mind and your heart being shaped and renewed? So often the wrong people are the ones that that cause us to lose heart, that aren't like-minded with us, that are in a different place in their lives. They're not trusting the Lord, so they can't spur us to trust the Lord. And the question is, why do we want to be influenced by them? If our heart and mind need to be renewed, and that's absolutely essential, and Paul says, don't lose heart now, because if you're losing heart, it's because your inner self has not been renewed. If we need to be renewed that much, and I'm telling you right now, I do, then why are we being influenced by people that don't love the Lord? We should be with people that are praising God and singing holy, holy and raising their hands and calling on the name of the Lord and trusting in Him for the unseen and saying, praise God, I'm in a trial right now, but I know God's faithful. That's the people we need to be around. God has supplied us with everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And He says, there's so much more I want to give you if you just understand it. We can be like the New Testament apostles. We can have the same power, the same influence, the same confidence, but it starts right here. Do not lose heart. Be renewed in the inner man day after day. Let's close our eyes. The Lord has a word for us this morning. He's given us His word. Now it's a matter of action, not just action today. Renewed in our inner man day after day after day after day. I don't know how the Lord's convicting you this morning. I do know how he's convicting me. And I want to encourage you and challenge you as your pastor and your friend and a fellow bondservant. That we get this right. That we don't let this go in one ear and out the other and go to our lunch and just ignore what God's called us to this morning. God has called us to be renewed inwardly every day. And there's no avoiding this command. So whatever junk needs to be out of your heart and mind right now, whatever sin you're holding on to, whatever pride that you will not release. You need to release it right now. You need to confess that to the Lord. Ask Him to remove it. Eradicate it. Forgive it. It may mean some changes in how we live, who we associate with, what we practice. Not because of legalism, not because of judgmentalism, but because that's what we have to do to be renewed inwardly every day. And the devil wants to grip those things around our lives and say, well, it's too important. It's not too important. He's a liar. It's time to release some things. 
Father, by your help, I pray that this would be who we are and how we live. We praise you this morning that you are holy and that you're righteous and that you're gracious and loving and that you are so faithful to us. We don't deserve it for a second. And you are faithful and you're good and you have called us to be renewed, transformed by the renewing of our mind, which starts with not being conformed to the world. Lord, that's hard because the world is so powerful and so strong and such an influence, and we want to fit in. But you've called us to be set apart. Lord, I pray you'd stir in our hearts, not only today, but throughout this week, a fresh desire for you, a fresh desire for your word, for prayer, for the body, for living this way by your spirit, trusting even what we can't see. Lord, fill us with your spirit because we've emptied ourselves. And may you work in a powerful way in our midst that we would be like the apostles of old, Lord, powerful, influential, confident, bold for you. That's what you've called us to, and Lord, you've given us everything that we need everything that we need to live that way. Help me, Lord. Help my brothers and sisters. And we will give you praise in Jesus' name.